Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast, presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey, co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. We are thrilled to announce the launch of this podcast network to add more avenues to grow awareness and innovation around analytics and sports. We are excited to make the panel discussions from our 2019 conference, which covers a wide range of sports and analytics topics available via podcast for the very first time. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the 2019 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Z Siddiqui, and I'm a first year MBA student at MIT Sloan. And it's my pleasure to introduce today's panel, Ticketing Analytics, the Power of Open Distribution. It's also my pleasure to introduce today's distinguished group of panelists, starting all the way to my right, Patrick Ryan, co-founder of Eventelect, Brendan Lynch, enterprise commercial and Ticketmaster agency lead for Ticketmaster, Bobby Gallo, vice president of club business development for the NFL, and Gretchen Shear, chief revenue officer of the Houston Rockets. Today's panel will be moderated by Abe Madker, uh, the executive editor of the Sports Business Journal. And um, today's panel will last 45 minutes with 10 minutes at the end for Q&A. If you'd like to submit a question, you can do so via Twitter using the hashtag TicketingAnalytics. The tweets with the most mentions will be selected by the moderator. And with that, I will hand it off to Abe. Great. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Good. Give it up for Z and the other students here who are putting on this great event. Thanks a lot, Z. So this is your session. I know he said 15 minutes for Q&A. We're going to open it up even earlier than that. So when you have a question, just ask it. It'll go through the Twitter system to me, and I will ask the panel. I've asked each of the, first of all, great turnout, huh? I mean, we were up against Ruben and Meek, and I thought this room would be empty. So it's great to see you all here. We're going to talk about open distribution. We're going to talk about the future of the season ticket. We're going to talk about data. We're going to talk about personalization, customization, all those things. I've asked the panelists to take a minute to introduce themselves and really their role in the ticketing ecosystem. And Patrick, I'll start with you, please. Great. Thanks uh, to everyone for having us. It's a great conference. And this, uh, with a CM panel, really like talking to these folks on and off the, uh, the stage. Uh, Eventelect is really focused on making sure that we help content rights holders. Most of our business is focused around professional sports, making sure they're leveraging distribution. So when you talk about distribution, if you Google a team name and the word tickets, we want to make sure that we have their inventory properly merchandised on those sites and that we're managing uh, the inventory as well as the pricing in real time and providing back you know, analytics to our partner teams. Uh, what I would say has changed in the world over the last three years is really the focus on making sure that the right tickets are on the secondary market. The secondary market's very powerful, but it can't be everything and uh, the only thing to a lot of teams. And so we spend a lot of our time consulting with our partners around what tickets are most efficiently sold as season tickets, what tickets are most efficiently sold as uh, on the secondary market, and then everything in between. And so we're at a very interesting turning point of ticketing, and everybody's getting a lot more efficient. Uh, and we just are happy to be part of the food chain. Brendan. Thank you, uh, and thank you for having me. This is fantastic, and, and I'm excited for this conversation. The, uh, the things I'm focused most on at Ticketmaster are um, our enterprise business, uh, which is our products and services that we offer to content holders, 
Um, and also our agency business, and that is leveraging our marketing capabilities and our premium services and our analytics uh, for those content holders. Uh, and so it's, it's um, you know, a combination of a couple of businesses, and it is core to, you know, the distribution components, uh, the needs of our content holders on, um, uh, you know, our, our, their ticket sales and their season ticket sales. Um, and so this is one of the, the perfect conversations for us to kind of talk about uh, what we do there. Bobby? Yes, thanks, Abe. Uh, Bobby Gallo from the NFL's Club Business Development Group. Um, in short, we spend uh, the majority of our time, a good portion of our time, working with all 32 of our teams. Uh, and we're at the forefront of managing our ticketing relationships uh, with folks like Brendan and Ticketmaster and uh, at the forefront of the open distribution platform that I think we'll, we'll get into this morning. Great. Gretchen. I'm Gretchen Shear with the Houston Rockets. Um, I am our chief revenue officer. My background at the organization, I've been there 18, 18 years, 18 seasons. And uh, 17 years ago, we made the shift Sorry, away from... Ticketmaster to a platform that was then called Vertical Alliance. It then became Veritex and Flash Sheets. It is now what you know of access today. So our organization's um, history in the ticketing world is different than kind of the standard um, club team. And it's, a, it's allowed us to look at the space a little bit differently through the years and has provided us with a rich amount of, of data. And if you're at this conference, you know what that means to our organization. So I think the pan, uh, organizers have put together a real interesting panel because everyone has a different point of view. We're going to kick it off with the discussion of open distribution because it was one of the biggest, has been one of the biggest stories in the ticketing space. I want to ask the panelists, it's a jump ball, maybe Bobby, you jump in, or Brendan, open distribution, really what does it mean for you and what do you see as the benefits? Uh, sure. I think for us it's pretty simple and straightforward. Um, you know, everything we do, every, everything we look at is through the lens of our fans and what's best for our fans. Um, and so when you think about it that way, it, it's pretty simple uh, and straightforward. We believe that our fans should be able to buy tickets uh, wherever they want or wherever they're most comfortable. If you're most comfortable buying, buying tickets through Ticketmaster in, in that environment, great. If someone else is interested in buying them somewhere else, Great, so we want to make sure that our inventory and, and, and our teams have the ability to um, push inventory out across the entire network, the entire ecosystem, um, which we think ultimately benefits our fans. And that change occurred within the last 14 months, roughly, or give, 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 give a time, time, timeline on that. Yeah, so we just, we just wrapped up our first season with the open distribution ticketing network. Um, we're heading into season two, and, and you know, I would say, with, like with anything, uh, tons of learnings. Um, tons of things that I think we'll, we've taken from year one that we're going to take into year two to make it, I think, even better, even more seamless, uh, even more efficient. Um, and again, all geared, geared towards and, and looking through that lens of what's best for the fan. Yeah, the, uh, uh, just to build on, on Bobby's comments, um, you know, when I step back and think about open, open is, is, is neither new nor is it really particularly hard, right? Um, What's hard about it is knowing who your fans are in an open system, right? It's ensuring that you've got legitimate tickets in an open system. It's giving visibility kind of back to Bobby and the teams so that they can see what's happening in that open system. And it's making sure the whole thing doesn't collapse, right? Uh, and, and doing it in a reliable way. And, and so if you think back, right, with paper tickets, they can go everywhere, they're anonymous. Uh, it's, it's essentially open. 
what the technology and the products are allowing us to do now is get that fan uh, identity, get that fan relationship across that open system. And that's really where the challenge and the products uh, really have, have made a difference over the last year. And Patrick, how do you view the change in kind of the, the NFL system specifically? Well, on the NFL side, I think what was nice was that fans could buy a ticket on a handful of marketplaces and then enter the stadium in that same app. So the ticketing being available on a native app for whatever their preferred channel was, I think decreased friction for a handful of fans. Where we see uh, teams really taking advantage of it and where we see marketplaces taking advantage of it is really getting into customer segmentation and understanding that some fans are gonna always be secondary market customers because they go to one NFL game a year, one Broadway show, two concerts, you know, and one Disney on ice, and they're super serviced by the secondary market However, there are people going through that sales funnel who really are a customer for uh, a season ticket. And so the teams are now able to kind of look at more data to better kind of mine who they should target with the right product. And, and Gretchen, no, one system doesn't fit all. You have a different uh, style, a different approach. Talk a little bit about your system at the Rockets and how yeah. it differs from a, a more traditional open system that we're talking right. about. Right, I mean, I think everyone on the panel has been pretty clear that, you know, ev it's open, like, there, it's not a new word, it's there, street brokers were open, StubHub is open, you know, you name it, and it's, a, it's an open system. So, is it endorsed? Is it verified through open? Like, what does, you know, what does that look like? I think the biggest misnomer is that most customers and most fans do not use the word secondary. So in the industry, we're saying primary and we're saying secondary, but most people just wanna go, they wanna buy a ticket, they wanna give you your money easily, and they wanna come to your game. Like they, most people realize that there might be a lift, they might be paying more or less than face value, but I don't think the general fan understands the difference. They just wanna know that when they show up, they can get into the arena or into the stadium without any issue, and so, our model and our, and our system um, provided us that digital capability very early on. Um, and so, you know, we've been able to follow the fan journeys for more than a decade with a closed loop. So even if um, the ticket was resold in an open channel, it had to be transferred digitally, there wasn't a barcode, and we could follow that path. Um, so we've had we have an immense amount of data to know who is buying on a site that is historically a secondary site, who is a guest of a season ticket holder. How should we communicate to them? And so for the other three, the perception of her point of a blended primary secondary model. It, it, do you agree with her in terms of the consumer doesn't really recognize the difference? I certainly do. Um, and I think that's, you know, again, part of why we've taken the steps we've taken um, and, you know, have done what we've done with the open, you know, network and, and, and the work we've done with Brendan and Ticketmaster and others. Um, so I completely agree. I, I believe most people now are going, like I said earlier, you know, people have their preferences on where they want to buy. And um, some people are buying based on, you know, location and they'll pay more. Some people are buying based on, you know, they want to, you know, get the best price. Um, and that'll drive their behavior and decisions. But I think ultimately people are shopping around and, you know, looking to buy a ticket that they know is verified and authentic and, um, you know, is going to get them into the stadium. So, go ahead, Brendan. 
Yeah, and, and from just managing a marketplace side, um, you know, as we sell through all the primary, our fans are looking for more tickets. And so it's great to have both the primary and the secondary right there. Um, because if you want that 50-yard that line ticket and that, that whole section's been sold out, we have nothing for you unless um, we've got the, the secondary there. So that's been a big change that we've worked through. Uh, so uh, to, to enable the marketplace to have a ticket for every fan for, for every event. And, and I think that, you know, supply and demand don't live in their own silos. I mean, it's a commingled silo. And so, you know, when the content rights holder is making the decision around how easy they want to make it for customers to, to find tickets on other sites, if a team is lower demand, they might want that lift from uh, an open marketplace. And what I mean by that is that, you know, SeatGeek and Vivid Seats and StubHub and Ticketmaster, they have weekly emails. And right. oftentimes placement on that email campaign uh, can move incremental tickets. And so uh, there's some teams that don't need that incremental lift. There are other teams that would desperately pay a high dollar to be at the top of that email campaign. Uh, and the marketplace is going to make decisions around what uh, team or what product to feature based on if it's integrated, if there's a lot of inventory posted. So it's not just, you know, the SCMs of the world, it's sort of like the native email marketing and, and social media marketing. And so these marketplaces are making decisions based on demand, but also how much valid supply they have. So that's to jump off to a good question here. I want to get right to them. Maybe Gretchen, you take the lead on this, but I'll chime in. What kind of factors do teams consider as they make the decision between towards an open distribution model versus more of a system like the Rockets? Like, what are some of the decision-making factors? Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this a little bit backstage, and if you're just looking at your distribution in a silo, saying, how am I going to let people have access to my tickets? Is it only gonna be on my website? Is it gonna be everywhere in the world? What do those relationships look like with those distribution channels? If that's the only thing you're looking at, it's really not gonna drive your business forward. It's only a piece of it. You have to figure out your demand. Are you price right to begin with? Are you segmenting your inventory in a way that's gonna help drive demand or mask your building if you don't have it. And so I think the biggest thing, if you're looking at that, if you're in the ticketing world, is you can't just look at distribution as its own silo. You have to look at your entire ticket pricing, inventory management, distribution, holistically. Other, other points that uh, people, teams, should consider when thinking about the different models? Anyone? So, so, so I think inventory management, kind of diving in there a little bit, you know, sometimes teams don't give their own website and their primary market a fair shot. And what I mean by that is that teams that are not closely managing their inventory in terms of group tickets and mini plans and season tickets, what oftentimes happens is that those tickets are residing in a hold code when the fans are actually looking for season or looking for single game tickets. And so then the team has all these tickets tied up when fans are on their primary market and the fan doesn't see what they want, so they go to the secondary market. So we're now seeing teams, you know, the NBA and NHL, they're literally coming up with their single game distribution strategy like now, and their on sales are in July because they don't want to tie up all this inventory in season holds that aren't going to sell as seasons, in group ticket holds that aren't going to sell as groups. They want to give, you know, you've got to give your primary market a chance to sell the ticket, and then the, the secondary market can supplement it. Questions for Bobby and Brendan, for me, would be learnings. You talked about learnings in year one of the new system. Were there pain points? What were the learnings? What could change in year two? Yeah, I think um, one of the biggest learnings for us is, uh, you know, as, as we kind of put the platform in place, that once we have um, everything kind of geared correctly in the marketplace, 
our marketing is what will win the day. Um, and you know, that is a combination of better data that we have flowing back into the system. It's uh, having a really fan-friendly, uh, mobile-enhanced marketplace. Um, and really uh, great marketing team that knows how to optimize that, not just across emails, um, but SEM, uh, programmatic, social, et cetera. And so when you get the whole system working really well, we had fantastic results um, uh, on, on resale, but also way better on primary as well. Um, and that's with, uh, with a lot of inventory on the site. And so um, the, the results kind of spoke to the whole system working really well. Um, and, and Open was a component of it, uh, but uh, we were really happy with our performance uh, for this year in, in the NFL. Yeah, I think, you know, just to piggyback, I think, you know, for us, when you look at year one, um, you know, I think, go back or rewind two years ago, we had about 10% of our fans entering our stadiums with a mobile ticket or a ticket on their phone. This year, that leapfrogged all the way up to over 50%. So, I'm sorry, it went from 10% to over 50% in one year. Um, so, you know, that's one. Two, um, because of, you know, people using more mobile tickets and people transferring tickets and us being able to collect all of that data across all of these platforms, I think we were somewhere in the neighborhood of, neighborhood of almost 2 million new names to file or new names to the database across the league, right? And it kind of speaks to, and the reason I, I bring that up is it speaks to everything everyone is saying. All of that is data. All right. of that is information that we didn't have. All of that allows, all of that information allows us now to know um, who's coming to our stadiums. Maybe in, in the past we didn't know as many people that were coming. We knew our season ticket holders, but we extend beyond that. And it allows us to customize and cater the game day experience um, in ways that maybe we weren't able to do um, even just a year ago. So a real quick follow-up on that. So with you and when Brian Lafamina was there, yep. when you were selling this up to ownership and, and, and to Rod, Commissioner Goodell, it, was it a data play? Uh, yeah, I think, it was, I think it was a few things. I think it was certainly data was a, a big part of it. Um, we've touched on this a little bit as well. You know, security and reducing fraud was a big part of it um, a, as well. And I think, you know, just again, we now... And, and, and Brian always says this. You, you mentioned Brian. Brian always... He's been saying this for years. You know, we live in a world where everything is customizable, right? You, you, know, you, can, you can sit here in the audience and you can buy something that you want to buy right through your phone and it can be customized to whatever it is that you're looking for. Uh, you got the Netflixes of the world, you have Spotify, you have Amazon, you have all these different things. And you know, a big push for us was, um, in addition to the data, in addition to the security was, we need the information so that we can create customizable experiences for people coming to our stadiums uh, so we can better understand what they want. You and I can sit next to each other we may pay the same price, but we may have very different interests. And in, in most cases, the only information we had going back was, okay, if they're paying the same price, they're probably the same person, or they probably have the same likes or interests. There, there's no proof to that, and there's no reason to think that way. And Gretchen, I was talking to one executive recently, says nobody knows more about their season, their ticket holders on the data side than the Rockets. And that's because you've been using a system that has been really digital mobile for about the last almost 10 years. Yeah, I mean, we've been, our organization is, you know, data, data first. Um, so a lot of the, and, and our history, and every team is different. So if I was someone else, you know, I may be in a different market, or our organization may, in a may be in a different place, and I may have a different strategy. But for us, we made the decision, granted we had, it was 
Veritex and flash suits at the time, so the technology was there. So, you know, when um, Bobby was just saying they made the jump from 10% to 50%, mm -hmm. we were 50%, we were over 50% mobile in 2009. So a decade ago, we were over 50% mobile. I feel so good about myself. Um, <laughs> I, I know, sorry about that. Cheers, so, right, well, if, if Winston on my team is in here, he'll like tweet the exact number, he's our data guy. Um, and then by 2013, our team was in a space by demand and we were selling out. So of course we had a little bit more um, influence on what we could push. So we've been 95% right. digital right. Um, on for every event um, in our arena for the last six to seven years. So the amount of information, so all of these things that we're flowing and that we're looking at, um, we've had visibility into that for a long time. So one of the misnomers is that not that it's the right or the wrong decision, is that the only way you can get that transparency is to have partnerships from a open distribution channel, and that's not necessarily accurate, right? In some channels, it may be, depending on where your provider is or what your strategy is or what your internal capabilities are, but for us, we had that visibility. doesn't mean that tickets weren't being sold through open distribution. It just means that we didn't have kind of an, an official endorsed view of that. Right, and we're saying here on this panel that you know it's almost like state rights. You know, every, every team can make their own decision based on what they think is best for their ticket holders or even their marketplace. I do want to get to the questions. Great, great audience, great questions already. Let's stay with the data point of view, and this is for everybody. What do you see all as the holy grail in terms of what ticket sellers can do with this data? Is the goal to customize the experience for every customer? I think to uh, customize the experience, you have to customize the sales process. So that's really when you look at you know, the Kagers, the cores, the Microsoft Dynamics, the teams that are leveraging those tools with the customer data, they're seeing a much more rich experience for their fans. So an example that I like to use is that you might have someone buy four Upper Deck tickets um, and the team in the old world would say, well, we should market Upper Deck tickets to that person. But when you kind of run it through your analytics and run it through Kager and run it through Core and look at other behavior in the building, you realize it's actually someone who owns a law firm buying four tickets for his kid. And that actually this person's a, a sweet prospect. So you, rather than having it be called on an inside sales rep selling a mini plan in the upper deck, you have them contacted by a, a premium sales rep. So in terms of the holy grail of data, you know, it's about getting the data, but then layering it into other systems so you can actually, you know, act upon it efficiently. And I think, yeah. I'm sorry, Ben. Uh, I, I was just gonna add, I think, I agree with that. I think, you know, holy grail data, holy grail customization, yeah, all of that is fantastic. You need the resources to actually go and execute and, and, and do something with the data. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, you mentioned Kager. We, you know, we've done a partnership with Kager at the league, so that overarches across all 32. We have the unique position to be sitting across all 32 and see insights that maybe the teams don't, don't, don't see. And the other thing is we're seeing more and more of our teams across the league at the local level um, invest in business analytics and, and strategy, which is, which is a great thing, certainly for our league. I think you know, in the past, we've kind of always been looked at that league that's maybe a, a step behind in sophistication, whereas you know, I sit up here today and I think you know, myself and, and others in the group would tell you that we're proud of the steps that our teams have taken and you know, investing in business analytics and intelligence and, and, and things like that. And you look at our group at the league office. You know, the club business development group was six or seven people eight months ago, and now we're a group of 16. So uh, I raise that because you know, the data is great and it's important, but you need the resources to actually go and, and, and act on it. 
Yeah, I, um, I was going to mention if you didn't, but Bobby's had to build out that team to really take the, the flow of the data that's coming back now. Um, but the, way, the way we think about the holy grail in, in ticketing data is that chain of custody of the ticket throughout the life cycle. Um, and there's two really key kind of moments of truth. The first is that purchase. And that purchaser is really important, right? And it might be the, the owner of the law firm. Um, and the second is attendance. And this is kind of a, a newer area of knowing who owned that ticket right. at the moment of attendance. Um, and across these two things, you start really having whole like uh, blooms of opportunity around insights. Um, we've, we've often talked about the, the purchase side of that. The attendance side um, connected with the purchase opens up um, analytics around you know, ticket realization, right? And so we look at um, you know, a season ticket holder and you know, they might be going to half their games but selling the other half for above face, that person's very likely to renew. Um, if they put them in a drawer, they're very unlikely to renew. Um, and we have models that anticipate this and can, can say, you know, is someone uh, ready to be kind of reached out to to save them as a, as a season ticket holder, or is there an upgrade possibility? And so there's, there's a lot uh, to it. It all comes off that chain of custody, and I, I am really excited to see that attendance data start kind of hitting all the analytical brains around this room mm -hmm. um, and see where we can go with that. And our partnership with Kager, you know, the ticketing integrated uh, platform that we're building, realization rates is a big part of what we've built with them. It's a good point. Yeah, I think one of the things that we've seen, um, and it's similar to who buys the ticket and who's the end user, is that you start to see trends. So there's people who we thought have been season ticket holders for 20 years. It turns out that they may own the seats and come twice a year, but they have three share partners. So in a renewal conversation, in the past, if they canceled, they were gone, and now we know there are three share partners um, who you know fall into our into our data leagues, whether that's for renewal, a new sale, et cetera. And in a building uh, at your venue at a home game, the percentage of people in the arena that you know their identity is what? What percent? Well, I mean, it's a it's a tough one. I know. We have all the people that are coming in digitally, but if I come with Pat and I have two seats, I know me. Or I know Pat. I don't. We're not right. at the point where we know every single person. It's definitely something that I think a lot of systems are looking at. That's not a fan-friendly experience um, if you're coming with your spouse or your kid, and each person has to have their own piece. Um, so I would say 90% of it is digital. Of that, most people have 2.3 seats on their account, so we know about 40, what is that? But Some analytics person do that, calculator and, math. And your, but your holy grail, your goal, Gretchen, would be to know, of course, everybody. I mean, if you could get a system that could get that, that would be ideal. Yeah, I, I don't know, no? only because really? a lot, I mean, it's, I'm not gonna know the seven-year-old, right? And I'm not gonna force the seven-year-old to, who's there with their parent to build an account. So right. there's, there's some middle ground where it's not gonna be 100. Uh, I, go ahead. Yeah, just on that point, we've seen a jump Right, as you go to mobile ticketing and um, you know, our, our present system, we've seen a jump from roughly one-third to two-thirds of who, who we know as they're entering the, entering the, uh, the game or the, the concert. Um, so that's a, a huge move, I agree. You're never gonna get to uh, a, a perfect 100%, um, and you don't need to for commercial or marketing purposes, right? From security, you'd probably wanna go a little further, um, but, uh, but the, the movement is, is definitely to a much higher percentage. I could tell we're at a great data conference because most of the questions are related to that. Does knowing a customer's non-sports and entertainment purchase history data serve any advantage in understanding potential ticket buyers? 
I mean, I, I would think that, you know, one of the biggest investments over the last 10 years has been in premium space. Um, and so a lot of times teams and arena owners are able to kind of anchor the third party content as the suite package or the uh, theater loge box package. And so absolutely knowing that they're coming to your building a lot for that third party content, you can layer in, well, we'll, we'll layer in eight Rockets games. Uh, and then as their usage goes up, you know, you, you change the product. So I think that the fact that teams are investing so heavily in, in, in capturing the fan experience in the way the fan wants it, uh, I, th I think that lends itself to upselling into the, the core sports product. Look, we're in a relationship driven business. And to me, anything and everything you can, you know, gather and, and know and understand about your customers is, is a good thing. You know, I want to know the seven-year-old. I might not know through mobile or digital ticketing, but I want to know if, you know, uh, a season ticket holder has kids and who their favorite players are and, you know, whatever it might be, any bit of, informa any bit of information I would think is helpful and additive to the, to the process given what we do. Any difference between the buying behavior between primary and secondary? I mean, oftentimes, I mean, what's been related to us from some of our teams is that the primary, the, the customer is a price taker, that they're very tied to the team's brand and the offer that the team is making. And so they just feel that that's the right offer because it's what the, the team is putting in front of them. Uh, so sometimes when you see an incongruent primary and secondary market, it's because that team has identified that when they do an email campaign, they have a high conversion rate regardless of the pricing. Uh, so I think that that's one of the things that, that certainly stands out. And I yep. think at, for all primary and secondary, it's a single it's a single game buyer. So that behavior is there. So we see a lot the on sale, same thing, right? So it's you buy the game that is on a weekend, or it's the best opponent, or there's some promotion, and then there's a lull, and then it ticks back up as the game gets closer. And it's very similar on okay. on primary and secondary. Yeah. To, to Gretchen's point, the uh, for, for the data that we see is much more driven by the inventory that happens to be on the site at that point rather than the fan behavior, right? And so um, that's, that's a little bit of the, the difference. Um, but to, to your prior question around fan knowledge outside of the, the right. individual game, right. um, this, is, this is a huge area that we spend a lot of time on because we have, we have the scale to see all these concerts, see the genres that, uh, that uh, you know, NFL fans uh, uh, like. Um, and it's, uh, it's a service like we, that the clients reach out to us around what content is going to work best in my building. Um, and then also, how do I go reach out to um, uh, fans in different ways? Uh, and that varies building to building, right? And so the fan base for individual buildings is dramatically different. And knowing what other content uh, their fans or, or their uh, local fans see in other buildings uh, and their um, overall affinities are really, really useful. Talked a lot about pricing. Couple good questions here I want to get to. What is the biggest mistake that teams make when it comes to pricing their tickets and how do they fix it? Patrick, I'm gonna start with you on that one. Sure, you know, I, I think that it, sometimes teams are backing into a revenue number. And so sometimes they artificially start high and then they have to kind of, you know, back into the number and they're sometimes liquidating tickets. I mean, I think for example, uh, you know, five years ago, most of the calls we would receive, our account management team would receive from our partner teams was, hey, we need help with these low demand games. Right. Now we get calls when the Warriors are in town. 
because they over budgeted and the Warriors road demand is actually down year over year. And so it's like before it was like we'd help with a bad game and then leverage it into we'd get additional tickets to the good games. Now it's like we're paying full price for the really high demand games, but we're getting access to some of the games the team was under budget in. Uh, and so I think it's about having just a, a holistic strategy and, and trying to as best possible not back into a number and really just look at what the market's telling you. Um, you know, dynamic pricing is, is an effective tool, but if you price it too high, you don't get the sale and then you don't get the data. So we really believe pricing is more a function of pacing, how quickly our ticket's pricing, and then using our, our proprietary software to increase the price as pacing picks up. Uh, and we're not tied to a game-by-game -game budget, so we've got a little bit more flexibility to help our partners in different ways. Other thoughts on mistakes teams make when it comes to pricing? To totally echo the, the need for a plan up front um, so you can address your whole season and uh, the whole sales cycle. Um, you know, thing one. Thing two is uh, being able to dynamically change your pricing over time and getting good tools around that uh, is, is really key. And then thing three is uh, really testing and learning, right? And so there's a lot of fear around brand management. I don't want to go underneath my season ticket holder price. Or if I'm a concert per se, I don't want to go too high because that's not my brand either as a content holder. Um, but testing a little bit of that and getting some fan feedback, not just the price elasticity, but the brand feedback. As, is this a problem? Do my, do my season ticket holders have an issue with this? Um, and you know, with those three things, uh, clients you know, eventually um, you know, get much more sophisticated in how they price, uh, price their tickets. Yeah, I would just, sorry, I would say, yeah, I kind of echo with, what, what these guys are saying. I think certainly a holistic uh, approach is important. Um, you know, you look, think about our league, a lot of our tickets are sold still on a season ticket basis. Right. Um, and you know, we, you know, we'll have sometimes we'll have teams say, all right, we, we've looked at the secondary market data. But that's such a small snippet of the overall for us in, in terms of the 70,000 or 65,000 seats um, that some of our teams are, are dealing with, many of which are sold um, you know, on, a, on a season ticket basis. The other piece is you know, we have teams, and, and we've taken steps over the last number of years with variable pricing and dynamic pricing. But when you look at our league, and we actually got up in front of our, our presidents and owners back in December and told them this. Wasn't sure I was going to leave with a job. But, um, but we told them, you know, yeah, we are dynamically pricing our tickets. Teams have taken steps in that direction of doing a better job. But when you look across what our teams are actually doing, they're changing prices monthly, uh, weekly. A couple of them are doing it daily. That's not really dynamic pricing. And, and we told our teams that and our team presidents that when you think about dynamic pricing, you're competing against professional resellers out in the market who have every and any tool that they need in real time and they can change prices and toggle up and down two or three cents to win a sale. They'll price a section you know, in a way where you know, they'll have everything overpriced and they'll have one set of seats kind of at the, at the marker just to clear and then they'll just automatically you know, fill in the seats that were sold. So they're working in real time, they're managing markets minute to minute to minute. And so I think for our teams they need to you know, think holistically, not just use one data point, use everything at their disposal, uh, realization rates and, and, and everything like that, uh, and then also think about how we become sophisticated enough or more sophisticated so that we can compete minute to minute, because that's ultimately how the market changes. It's not daily, it's not monthly, it's not weekly. Have you made a mistake in pricing in your 18 years there Never. at the Rockets? <laughs> Never. Um, I would say the, the thing that we've probably learned the most over the last handful of years is, you know, we, we do our very best to drive everything through our channels. So 
Um, it's better for our eyeballs, it's better for our partners, we have that data. Well, one of the challenges is when you're shopping around and you're looking at, you may be a loyal uh, buyer from the team site and you go to the team site and you see our price and you buy it because you have that connectivity. Or you may be looking at the secondary market, you're doing it at different times, you might be doing it on different screens. It's not easy to shop around, like no one likes to have to do that for anything that they buy, whether it's a car, in my mm -hmm. case, a refrigerator I'm super excited about, or um, <laughs> or a ticket. And so when we move to a commingled map, commingled inventory, whatever you want to call it, right, where you're looking at both those things, we're like, oh, now we're competing against ourselves, and we have to be much more willing to drop um, when we need to. And if you aren't monitoring it quickly and you aren't at the high enough rate on where the resellers are, then you're going to leave money on the table. And so you have to monitor it way closer than what you used to have to do in the past when you didn't have the transparency. A lot of questions here on the future of the season ticket. Season ticket, season ticket still the cash cow. How do teams ensure that they're not cannibalizing those season ticket sales by experimenting with open distribution? And Bobby, I'll just, I live in Charlotte. Two of my colleagues sold their Panther season tickets. They've been season ticket holders for a long time because of just that, because they were just gonna, of course, pick the certain games. Answer that question in terms of how do we not cannibalize the season ticket marketplace? Yeah, I mean, again, I think for us it's a little bit different because 90% of our tickets are sold on a season ticket basis. We have 10 games. Um, you know, you back out the two preseason game, games, eight regular season games, every single one of them is like life or death. They're, you know, they're all important. Your entire season, you know, lives and dies by that one particular game, whether it's week one or week 17. Um, so, so we're lucky in that regard. That being said, I think for us, we've started looking, you know, looking at things like right-sizing our stadiums, right, making sure, you know, that we, we have that figured out. Um, what kind of products are, are in our stadiums, right? Because even though, you know, 85 or 90 percent of our, our base is based on season tickets today, we know that's shifted, and we've had to start working harder and smarter at selling more group sales tickets, uh, more individual game tickets. So what kind of product offerings are you putting out there um, for people to buy um, as, they're, as they're thinking about coming and, and, and attending a game. So I think for us, that's kind of been, uh, Abe, the shift that we've, we've focused on is more about right-sizing and, and the product offerings and the value and the benefits that people can get, whether it's a season ticket or something other than a season ticket. Other thoughts on the future of the season ticket as a whole? I think that having areas that are exclusive to season ticket holders and that it's hard to get a single game ticket in certain areas certainly drives the value of the product uh, and then drives up the value of the usage. I mean, the Houston Astros have done a tremendous job in their premium space because their Diamond Club and then their Insperity Club, which are, which are home plate products, are sold out and they're rarely on the secondary market. And when they hit the secondary market, they sell at a huge price. And so the Astros intelligently added more premium space, but they put it out in center field which might seem somewhat counterintuitive, but it's like, look, if you want to get in line for the home plate products, these are the people that are going to be next up if there's, if there's a, a spot to open. So driving some exclusivity in certain parts of the building. And then also, you know, another team that we work closely with who are just brilliant in their customer service are the 76ers. And um, when you ask about, I want to know if it's a kid at the game, the 76ers service staff knows that. Um, they have systems in their place where if someone doesn't come to two games in a row, they make sure they reach out to them. And during those reach out calls and during those touch points, they find out like who's going to the game with you. And so that if they know that someone's kid's going to be at the game, you better believe within a handful of games that kid is on the court shooting a free throw. Um, and so we talk a lot about data. We talk a lot about apps. But 
the value of an engaged sales and service staff can really uh, add context to that data. And we're seeing some teams do a, a, a tremendous job of, of leveraging that. And so that season ticket becomes a lot stickier uh, because you're helping the customer use it uh, and get a lot of value out of it. Yeah, the, the, just to echo this, I see a separation, right? The season ticket is a vehicle for getting to know your best fans even better. And adding that premium value to it uh, is a way to, to engage in them, uh, engage with them. It's not just a package of singles. Uh, and if it, if it were, um, the singles market uh, kind of would take that over. And so it is that vehicle for increasing the, the, the fan engagement. Um, and that's a different way than uh, a lot of teams have looked at in the past. Got less than 15 minutes, so I'm going to move a little quicker. Uh, questions have been great, covering a lot of ground. Subscription-based models, we see the A's doing something pretty interesting in Oakland. I think there's just a, a Warriors all-access pass. Do we see more subscription-based models? What should the audience be looking in terms of adoption of those? I mean, I think that everyone's talked about, it's more about the mix of your product. So, okay. the, I mean, when the reason why I think the, the kind of narrative of the season ticket is dying is because a lot of us in the industry were forcing people when your product could handle it and when your demand was there into a product that was too much for them. Okay. Um, and so when your product drops a little bit and they, they've overcommitted to something that they weren't quite there, it's hard for them to keep that up. And so making sure that you have the right mix of product, the right number of game, subscription model for some people, um, that is not me. Like I'm not, it's, I wanna know where I'm going. Um, I might pay a little bit more to, walk down the same aisle every time. Um, but but there is a not, market for but this. But there's absolutely a market for mm -hmm. that and making sure that you have it in the right places to maintain um, your value for your season tickets, but also make sure that you're giving people who want to give you their money and want to come right. to their game an opportunity to do that. Other thoughts on this type of model? You know, I think, I'm sorry, Pat, the only thing I was going to say was, funny enough, I think I sat on this stage at this conference almost seven years ago when the same question was asked about is the season ticket dead? Um, and my sense is, or my guess is, it's gonna be asked again in seven years. I, I, I don't fundamentally believe that it is, or, or, and I, and or I reject that notion. I think if we're differing and differentiating our products and providing the right value and the right service, uh, again, back to the human resource element, all of these things, I don't see any reason why there isn't a place for the season ticket. Uh, yes, the world has changed. And so we got to be mindful of that and certainly product offerings and things like that. But uh, I only raised that because I think I was on the same stage seven years ago when that same question was asked. <laughs> and I'll be fair, the, no, none of these questions said that it was dead. Yep. Just, you know, what other options yep. are there? Yep. Yeah, so, so I think the subscription model works, you know, in the right context. So, for example, getting back to that law firm partner, you know, if they're, you know, when they turn 45 and they become partner, are they going to renew the suite? And I think that one way teams can insulate themselves against that is you know, the Atlanta Hawks use a college pass product to offer local college students a very affordable ticket, but it's, bar, it's barcode restricted, it's an hour before the game, it's not always available, but that fan knows they're getting super serviced in a unique way and that builds a certain level of brand affinity. And so doing a ballpark pass or a subscription, I think it really needs to be narrowed to the customer who doesn't get to like stay in that cheap product for years and years on end. It's more of a targeted sort of stair-step type product. Got it. What are you hoping the tech companies, Google, Facebook, Apple, and Amazon do to help the ticketing business? I mean, a huge okay. testament to Ticketmaster, StubHub, all these companies. I mean, I think Amazon's ticketing business right. is the only public failure they've had. Right. Uh, ticketing is really hard. Um, and so I, I think that uh, just that context is 
uh, very important to understand. And I think that you know the strides that have been made by all the ticketing partners has, has been phenomenal. Uh, I, I think it's a, a, you know kind of the, the customer data and making sure that the teams have the flexibility to post content the way they need to post content on these channels to, to drive certain consumer behavior. Yeah, I'd, I'd say uh, you know, Google in, in particular and, and many of these firms are doing a really good job at trying to clean up um, fake ticketing sites. Uh, and you know, it's one of the, the challenges we see is when you search for a team and tickets, uh, you'll land on a bunch of sites that are uh, a little scary. You don't want to put your credit card number into that. Uh, and as a fan, you might not know that. And so um, we've, we've partnered with these guys to uh, really make sure that they're looking out for fans as, uh, as fans don't know where to go and as they find their way. And so when, when they can find a, a validated, uh, you know, authorized marketplace, um, that's a good kind of, um, uh, you know, endpoint for that fan, and Google gets that. And I would just say, like, that's one of the challenges from... Um, endorsed, whatever you want to call open distribution is where's the line? Once once it's okay to buy in one place, how right. do you, it gets a little bit on some of the websites like Whack-A-Mole because they look just like your sites. So it mimics your name and if you're just a fan looking to come one time because your neighbor, your niece, <coughs> your kid got into whoever team or whatever concert is coming, there's no way they would know. It's very, very hard, and so cleaning it up and, and being diligent and taking some accountability on that is, would be very helpful. Quick question. Patrick mentioned the 76ers as an example. This one came in after that. Are there other surprising takeaways that you have all seen when evaluating the ticket businesses of other teams or leagues? Any other best practices you've seen out there that you're willing to, to share with, other, with the audience? The uh, Los Angeles Rams had a very interesting situation when the game got moved from Mexico right, City. Right. It was a high-demand marquee game, and I, I don't know, it was like a week's notice, right? And so you really saw um, data plus sales plus service working together in crunch time. And so, like, the Rams went to offer their season tickets access to the inventory. And then they had metrics about how many tickets could they move via groups. All the while, as one of their partners, we were sharing data in real time around our volume and were there parts of the building we could take on more inventory or were there you know, parts of the building that we thought there might be a struggle with and you know, they, they rolled out a very low price point and we complemented that low price point and it ended up the market just soared at the end but it was really because their sales and service team got ahead of it and was talking to their fans and selling more group tickets um, and so basically you got to see five months of work play out in, in five days uh, and that was an unprecedented uh, experience, and they, and they did a tremendous job, and it was really an honor to have a passenger side seat in that process. Yeah, I'd, I'd say on that experience, that five months of work felt like five months of work, <laughs> crammed into five days. <clears throat> uh, just recommendation, don't do an on-sale with just five days heads up. Um, I'm looking at the team who shuddered when you said uh, uh, the Rams, but, but absolutely right. They, they actually went with a the plan. They knew it was going to be a, a quick change. The NFL had prepped them on that, uh, and it, you know, the whole system came together and worked really well from marketing to you know, managing a, a large number of tickets that you don't normally have at an on-sale for an NFL game. I like watching. We've, um, you know, we, we made a decision 
what's now going to make me feel very old because it's almost been two decades, um, to go a different route and take and take a risk. And um, it was not easy in the beginning. It was painful. Um, and we're very, very happy of, of where we are today. But it, it, it teaches, when you do that, you learn the business a little bit better at times. So some of these teams and leagues that are making what might look like a risky decision, kind of shifting from the norm and kind of the big two, three in the world. It'll be interesting to watch how that plays out over the coming years Right. for them. We've got less than about seven minutes left, so we're gonna go a little bit more rapid fire. I'm gonna ask the panelists to be incredibly uh, brief and quick on their answers. The biggest innovation you see with respect to access control in the next five years is? Patrick, I'll start with you. Uh, just the barcode going away. I mean, people still screenshot tickets because it's convenient. Uh, you know, AXS actually, they can't. Uh, it's a rotating barcode, but seeing what happens when the barcode goes away and how much more data is collected and how much more fraud incrementally goes away uh, through that process. Knowing who is attending the game rather than just who purchased the ticket. I think for us, we're starting to see teams explore cashless stadiums. Mm -hmm. What was the question again? <laughs> There's been so many The access control in the next five years. Yeah, I mean, I think I think speed, right? So whether it's barless, you know, that, that that's gonna it's gonna put pressure on everything um, and how stadiums and arenas can keep up with that. And real quick on cashless, I know that we've got the raise. I heard an NFL team's announcing something soon. I mean, the benefit there is speed and data. Yeah, speed and data, you know, and again, touched on some of the points earlier. I think we had five teams last year that were fully mobile. We're going to have up to 10 this year, so yeah. the efficiencies around it. Bobby mentioned the question that he always gets asked here about this. So I'll start with Gretchen, work my way down. When we do this panel in five years, what will be the question that will be asked of you then? Is the season ticket dead? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Is the season ticket dead? Yeah. What's going on with season tickets? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I think it'll be are you truly able to press one click on Instagram and then get the ticket in your Instagram app and get in the stadium? Hmm, interesting. The, okay, the question here. The executive in sports business that you're keeping an eye on most closely and why over the next two years is? Bobby Gallo, start with you. Uh, you mentioned him earlier, man. I got to go with my, my man, Brian LaFamina. I'm excited to see uh, where, where he lands next. Um, he raised me in this business, so I wouldn't be sitting up here answering questions about the season ticket if it weren't for Brian. So that's Brent, why I have my eye on. Brendan, who, who are you watching? Uh, I'm not, not going to make or lose friends on this. I think the, 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 um, uh, the trend that I've seen is diversity amongst ticketing execs, and I can't wait to see the impact that that has on in the industry. Patrick? Um, you know, Nathan Hubbard's company, Rival, mm -hmm. they will have their first public on sale in four or five months in... Uh, Denver. So I think we're all going to be captivated to see how that goes. Uh, he's a thought leader in the space and, uh, you know, certainly will be, be very interesting. And what I will say is that just based on his Twitter feed, he's hiring, he's making hires from a Silicon Valley angle, uh, not necessarily a traditional ticketing angle. And so it'll be very interesting to see how that manifests itself uh, on that platform. And real quick, the differentiator of Rival is what? for those who don't know, including, like, I'm still confused. So what Nathan revealed uh, months ago was that no it seems knows. like there's some, there's some facial recognition components okay. uh, that I think that it might be the, the main architecture. Uh, you know, I, I will also say that I think that in the last three or four years, a lot of teams have created what current people currently want and currently need, uh, and Ticketmaster's done a tremendous job. Maybe they're able to see around some corners, 
but I also know Ticketmaster and StubHub's development teams, and I know they're looking around corners. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to be uh, fascinating to see it all play out. And just so I'm clear, I don't mean that uh, at all negative yeah. to Nathan. He is incredibly bright, and everyone's looking at rivals. Gretchen the executive that you're keeping an eye on over the next 12 to 24 months. So mine's more personal. So yep. in Houston, we have an MLS team, the Dynamo, and my two very good friends from the NBA just went over. So John Walker and Deanna Witter. So right. I'll watch to see what they do with that team there. Deanna came from Cleveland. John, and of John course. John was Memphis. Memphis. directly from Memphis. Yep, yep. Okay, so uh, this is for Patrick. The event over the next six months that you think will have the most highest volume, and for Brendan, <laughs> highest volume, most energy around it, and the ticketing space will be? High volume and high energy doesn't apply to golf, but the, <laughs> the, the master's ticketing business is certainly uh, interesting to follow. There's been continued consolidation in the premium ticketing space with on location and prime sport. Uh, I think we saw the impacts of tighter controls around inventory at the Super Bowl, and I think the, the master's is certainly going to be, um, you know, we're going to see a little bit more of that, and it'll be interesting to see how that, how that kind of plays out, where they have no ticketing partnerships. Uh, so just by contrast, that'll be interesting. But then on an energy and volume perspective, you know, LeBron's not going to be in the finals, you know. Um, and if you watch the crowds in Philadelphia, you watch the crowds in Milwaukee, it's going to be nuts. And so uh, obviously rooting for uh, both those teams, which they could play each other in the finals, but it's not impossible. So we'll be rooting for the, the Rockets first, the uh, 76ers. There you go. Uh, so it'll be a, a, a lot of fun. Brendan, any prediction on an event that you think could be hot? Uh, I, I'm going I'm to say not the event, but I'm thinking of the draft and the schedule announced for the NFL. I'm excited for this year. Um, and every year it's been bigger, bigger event. And for ticket sales, it's been huge. So I'm excited to see what, uh, what we're able to do this year. Bobby, any ticket sales component to NFL at 100? Uh, in terms of... Yeah, um, I, I just know the NFL at 100, the, the program's big. Yeah. But will there be anything in the ticketing aspect of it? Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a good question. Uh, as we're, we're approaching our 100th season uh, for the NFL, so you'll see a lot if you haven't already seen. Uh, hopefully everyone in the room saw the commercial during the Super Bowl um, that ran. Um, we actually started out with the notion of um, giving away um, tickets for 100 years to... That's right two fans um, per club, and we quickly realized, and probably not quickly enough, but we realized that um, there was a whole lot that went into that from a logistical standpoint. So we've scrapped that, so that's not <laughs> happening. Uh, and I believe where we've landed is uh, two tickets for 100 years for a, a fan, okay. yeah. Yeah, uh, so that's an interesting program to keep an eye on. Okay, so from starting with Gretchen here all the way down, outside of a topic you mentioned, Previously on this panel, what is a sports business story you're watching most closely over the next year? A sports business journal that I... Um, I am pretty narrow-focused, I'm not going to lie. Um, sports business... But the RSNs story. are for sale and the ones in your market, correct? Yeah, yeah. That, is, that is interesting. Um, what happens with all of the eSports teams is mm -hmm. super fascinating. Yep. So yep. there's been a lot of teams that are dabbling in one. And so where, where those go as a league is going to be pretty interesting. Bobby. I'll keep it close to home for us in the NFL, um, Los Angeles. Yeah. Huge initiative for us. Uh, obviously, as everyone knows, two teams back in the market, stadium coming online in 2020. So uh, living and, and breathing it every single day. It looks amazing. Brennan. Yeah, I'm, Patrick mentioned, but our own uh, effort to roll out secure ticketing, uh, again, close to home again, um, but this is going to be a pretty sizable shift uh, in the industry, and so can't wait to see that evolve. 
Uh, there's been a lot of friction uh, amongst Major League Baseball players and, and their owners, so that'll be an interesting to see shake out, particularly as a lot of baseball teams have really started better marketing their venues and just making them that much more fun of places to go. So hopefully, like, can quiet some of those conversations and just make fans come to the ballpark through their food offerings and experiential aspects. So baseball is going to be fascinating with their CBA coming up. Prediction, does baseball increase their attendance this year? Yeah, they're, they're going to. They're going to go up? Yeah. Great panel, four smart people. I hope you give them a round of applause and they'll be around if you want to talk to them. If you want to hear these panels in person next year on March 6th and 7th, 2020 in Boston, please register for the 14th annual MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference at sloansportsconference.com. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.